This week on Geek Explained, part two of Saturday Morning September continues the adventures of Batman, and he's not alone. I'm joined by returning guest Doug of the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel to discuss season two of Batman the Animated Series, aka The Batman and Robin Adventures. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is part two of Saturday Morning September, the month-long series where we're dedicating the entire month of September to Batman the Animated Series. Last week, we tackled season one and the inception of this incredibly iconic cartoon with Maddie Washburn of the Watchtower Database, and this week we are discussing Season 2, a.k.a. The Batman and Robin Adventures, with returning guest Doug from the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel. Uh, this is a really underserved season that not a lot of people talk about. We had a great conversation about it, cannot wait to share that with you. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week, so make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that but for now let's roll right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i and doug discuss batman the animated series season two aka the batman and robin adventures Part 2 of Saturday Morning September is here, which means, ladies and gentlemen, we are diving into Season 2 of Batman, the animated series. And I am so excited. Uh, last week, we covered the first season as well as the production that went into making the show with Maddie Washburn of the Watchtower Database YouTube channel. And we are continuing on with the fantastic guests train that we are on by uh, bringing back a returning guest and one that I'm very excited about to chat about this uh, this here Batman the Animated Series. It is Doug from the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel. He, uh, I'm tossing him roses and all kinds of uh, bouquets as he comes on stage. Doug, how are you doing, man? I am doing great. I've I've wanted to be back on here for forever, and to be back and talking Batman is just a dream come true. So thank you for having me. Absolutely, dude. I was super excited that we were able to get this together. Uh, Doug is just like me, someone who grew up with Batman the Animated Series and all the uh associated shows in the dcau and 
I love that we're kind of able to get people who are like either steeped really like deep in their content with it or people who just like have that fun nostalgia because I am nothing if not a sucker for nostalgia. So I'm really excited to uh, to have you on to talk about this show. But first, before we get into anything, uh, for those of us or those listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your stuff and want to uh, kind of get into your Batman credentials, can you give us a little, uh, let us know what the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel is all about? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, like you said, I run a YouTube channel where I try to cater to all of the little disparate corners of geek culture uh, it's mostly been comics um, and a lot of batman but uh, since then i've been trying to branch out to cover video games movies tv uh, comics and comic book media though are always a priority and batman I'd, I'd argue is one of the reasons why i started doing that um it's really funny because having grown up with that uh and having kind of started to to take a, a more critical look at things i'm learning to reappreciate this series and kind of the the hidden history behind it in a whole new way yeah it's fascinating when you go back because i mean obviously when we're kids we're like oh man batman and robin fighting <laughs> some villains like we're gonna have a great time for the next 20 minutes mm-hmm. but when you get into like the minutia of it the adaptations the uh storytellers behind creating this series you get a much more a much deeper appreciation for what we're doing and for the kind of stuff that we enjoy because like you and i were both comic book fans we're both Mm -hmm. fans of comic book media and all that stuff and it's easy to kind of see things on a surface level right it's like batman he fights crime that's his deal and I mean, genuinely, that's really all you need to know to get into it. But like, when you start to like get into the stuff of like, oh, like, this is why he does this. This is why they specifically went with this direction for the adaptation, the tone, the um, the cinematography, the cast. Like, this show is a seminal piece of. I don't think just comic book culture, just geek culture in general. Like every single animated show that i've ever watched at least subconsciously since i was a kid i've always kind of compared quality wise to batman the animated series it is the measuring stick in that way and so i do want to make a quick note because doug did mention uh he does uh videos on uh video games most recent video as we are recording this uh was on infamous another big staple of my childhood and it is wonderful so go check that out go check out his entire catalog it's incredible thank but you so much of course i will always i will always recommend good shit for people to go watch and you absolutely <laughs> fall under that category so before we get into the season as a whole i want to ask how did you get introduced to batman the animated series do you remember the first episode you watched oh absolutely uh I think we have a little bit of shared history here because the first episode that I ever saw of Batman specifically, because I have seen a little bit of animated Batman before this, but the first Batman episode I ever saw was uh, the two-parter Robin's Reckoning because I I grew up as a huge fan of Robin, specifically of, of Dick Grayson. And I mean, like, 
before I'd seen this, I only really knew him as like the, the colorful sidekick Yeah. and watching that episode specifically and having that be the first real intro to both Robin and Batman. I was, I was blown away by just the, the emotion behind it, the depth. Um, I'm, I was also like five years old when I first saw this, but <laughs> it, I mean, it, it definitely felt like a formative experience to see these characters and to see them in such a, a fully realized way. Um, it, I mean, I feel like that was just a big flashpoint moment for me when I realized this is what superheroes can be. This is the kind of stories you can tell with these characters. 100%. Robin's Reckoning, and I've, I've talked about this openly and we'll continue to talk about this openly <laughs> on the podcast. My favorite episode, the first episode I ever watched, um, I, I had a friend who uh, recently, maybe it was like last year or something, sent me in the mail this the original like cassette tape that has Robin oh, on it. And I have vivid memories of watching that for the first time. And at this point, it's funny, timing-wise, I had actually watched episodes of uh, Superman the Animated Series first. And so Batman the Animated Series was my introduction to Batman as a character. And yeah. this was the introduction. I got the crash course in Robin's Reckoning. <laughs> this is Batman. This is Robin. This is their deal. This is Dick Grayson. Yeah. And that episode is magical. Like, it's, I think Batman the Animated Series rarely missed with its two-parters. I can't think off the top of my head of a two-parter that didn't really work. But mm -hmm. Robin's Reckoning is an incredible character study on Dick Grayson and on Bruce Wayne. You get a lot of depth and pathos with both of those characters. And then you also get the incredible, incredible performance of tony zuko like that version of tony zuko is always the hey watch it punk like that's the tony zuko i always think of whenever Just i a, hear about him like a fully unrepentant cartoon scumbag you yes. know i i love that there's there's something magical about people who are evil for evil's sake yeah i mean like it's it's so funny when you juxtapose that against batman and robin yeah. how they've got like all of this depth and and so much backstory and then you just throw zuko in there and it's like no he he wanted money then he wants money now he's just a jerk yeah that's his whole deal is he's he's a bad guy doing bad things he's just gotten worse <laughs> and uglier as the time went on yeah i will I will never forget watching that episode for the first time. And you, you know, you don't know anything about this character, about what's happening with these characters and watching the scene where the flying Grayson's fall to their death. Like it is heart wrenching. Even as a kid, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, I think he cut the rope. There's swing. Oh, the rope's starting to fray. And then you get this masterful framing by the animators of you see his parents swing out of frame and then just the frayed rope comes back. And it's oh. incredible visual story. Yeah. Doesn't need to, you don't need to say a word. You don't, need to, you don't need to hear a shriek. You don't need to hear a scream. It tells you everything. And that the whole series is laced with moments and episodes like that. And just having like Batman the Animated Series to give you that crash course on this is Batman, this is Gotham, these are the characters that they interact with every single week is 
something that I think a lot of people got their first start with Batman and with the wider DC universe as a whole through this show. Yeah, I mean, just going back to, uh, I guess, how this is a masterclass of, of immersive storytelling, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, because this this doesn't just establish Batman or his rogues gallery. It builds uh, an entirely new perspective on Gotham as this fully realized kind of living world. And um, I guess kind of getting out of the tangent and tying back into, to, into what we're doing. Uh, I think it's very interesting looking at season two because... Um, I, this is the first time I've really watched it in a linear fashion because mm-hmm. uh, everything's on HBO Max, at least for now. <laughs> but, <laughs> for now, until they get rid of it all again. Yeah, yeah, until they until they make a tax write-off or something. But uh, it, it's so fascinating looking at how they build it episode by episode because season two, something that I really gathered is this is the this is the season when they've really gained their footing and they're, they're starting to experiment with what they've put together. You're seeing all sorts of new takes on these characters that were introduced. You're seeing kind of the beginnings of, um, of character long arcs that we see continued across their appearances in uh, this proto animated universe that they've set up. And it's fascinating to kind of see that, as it's beginning absolutely it's funny i guess we should talk about season two we we, we could just turn this whole episode into just talking about robin's reckoning <laughs> that is a season one episode folks um yeah i'm kind of jealous of maddie for for getting in on that <laughs> at you know at some point we're just going to do like a we'll, we'll do a watch along we'll just do commentary on uh robin's reckoning oh i would love that gush, gush about how good this episode is we're gonna um, we're gonna have thirty episodes just discussing it minute by minute. <laughs> <laughs> that what 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 is that stupid sh- YouTube show called? Every phrase something. Oh, um, every frame of painting. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We're gonna go frame by frame. Oh, <laughs> what trying to do and say in here. Yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do that. But season two, uh, which I guess I should go through the, uh, the minutia of that. Season two, released in 1994, uh, premiered its first episode on May 3rd of May 3rd of that same year, 1994. 20 episodes, right? The first season is 65 episodes, ladies and gentlemen. If you throw a dart at a Batman the Animated Series episode, it's probably in the first season. But... With all of the critical and commercial success that the first season got, Fox was like, we got to get more of this. So they ordered 20 more episodes, but they had a couple things that they wanted to change or wanted to enhance. Namely, they wanted more Dick Grayson. They wanted more Robin. Uh, They did a quick rebrand on all the reruns as well as half of the season, I believe to the adventures of Batman and Robin with a brand new opening, which was the first opening that I remember watching. Right. I remember watching it on the VHS tape and it had the dun, 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 just adventures of Batman and Robin. And like, it, it was like those, uh, those early two thousands anime openings where they were like, we don't want to use the, uh, the original like Japanese opening. So we're just going to make it a clip show of scenes from the, from the show with music over, 
over top. Just a lot of explosions peppered in there. Excitement. <laughs> Watch our show that you're already watching. But you know what? It worked. Honestly, I was hooked on that. Absolutely. And the, the final shot of uh, Batman and Robin falling into the frame. Chef's kiss. Masterclass. <laughs> uh, but they also did a weird thing with the schedule because, and we talked about this last week, um, the original schedule for Batman the Animated Series was it would air twice a week. They would do an airing during, uh, I believe it was the daytime. No, it was like during primetime Thursday nights or something. And then again, like Saturday mornings. And so that gave them a lot of room to like play new episodes, do reruns. With season two, they scaled that back. After five episodes of doing that twice a week, they're like, we're doing this once a week because we've only got 20 of these now. And we are going to now pepper that in with reruns. And the final five episodes of season two did not air until September of 1995. So a year and a half later, which is baffling to me. Yeah. It's, you know, they, 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 they obviously know what they're doing business wise. Cause we're all still talking about it. Yeah. But when it came to the animation in season one, they had a whole like slew. They had like a Rolodex of like animators and different animation companies with this one. They consolidated much of the work to uh, Dong Yang, which was one of the big heavy headers from last season. They did mo they did almost all the episodes except for four, four episodes uh, one by Jade Animation, which did the seminal classic, The Terrible Trio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Studio Junio, who did Avatar, Baby Doll, and A Bullet for Bullock. And this season's really interesting to me because re-watching it for this and going through it, like you said, for the first time, like linearly, it's kind of like a best hits of the first season. They've got like, and people have talked about it before, how I would say overexposed the Joker was in the first season. He's like in every other episode. In the, in the second season, he's in three episodes total. And he's only the focus of one, maybe two of them. If you want to count Harlequinade as a Joker-focused episode, even though they're like <laughs> Harlequin episode. Um, it's fascinating to see them scale that back and be like, no, we want to introduce more people. We want to introduce Bane, who had only been around for like a year at that point in the comics. We want to introduce Baby Doll. We want to give the Clock King a second go around. And they took these characters. How could I forget? Lockup. The greatest <laughs> Batman character that we've ever seen. Oh, it's that's the episode that launched a thousand... Uh... Batman doesn't care about the people of Gotham means because like that, there's that there's that one line in the episode where they say oh another villain made possible through a grant from the Wayne Foundation and I think everybody just ran with that for 30 years and they will continue to run with it for another 30 years all thanks to lockup love it so if, listeners if you ever get frustrated with people going like oh why doesn't Batman use his infrastructure it's all lockups fault Blame uh, hashtag blame lockup is what I'll happily doing. blame lockup. That guy's a jerk. He's a dick. And <laughs> though him, he did inspire one of the best villains in the later uh, the Batman series, where they kind of smushed him and Hush together for. Mm. Um, I can't remember the name of him, but it was a great episode. 
I think it was uh, Rumor. Rumor, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. Lockup has both given us great things and also given us very terrible things. So he's perfectly balanced. Lockup giveth and lockup taketh away. <laughs> Done. 2022. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting, like looking back at these 20 episodes, because with the exception of maybe like a couple, it's like every episode features a great story with either a new villain or a returning villain. And you really get to see the cast shine as a result of that because there's not a whole lot of crossover. You could you go at least like five episodes between Joker appearances. And in those five episodes, you get baby doll you get a killer croc episode you get all these great stories and the cast gets to shine a lot i mean we've already talked about but we will always continue to talk about uh kevin conroy's batman the heavy hitter the rock always batman forever in my heart um mark hamill kills it in all three episodes that he's in as joker and the man who takes center stage for me in this season, Lauren Lester as Dick Grayson. Mm -hmm. He gets a lot of play and they make it very clear that this is no longer a boy wonder. This is a legal man wonder because he's (laughs) clearly in college, but I will always laugh at, uh, no pun intended, uh, make him laugh where he's getting like spanked by mighty mom. And it's, it's hilarious because that is a fully adult man who is getting bent <laughs> over the knee and spanked like he's a toddler. Like, he's incredible in this season. And he does a great job at continuing on the strong start that he had in the first season. Are there any uh, performances that jump out at you? Oh, yeah, quite a few. I mean, it like you said, um, th- this really kind of picks up on a lot of characters that were introduced in the last season. And, uh, I mean, funny kind of really funny thing to say like right off the bat uh we're not introducing anybody new we're picking up with uh one of the lesser knowns poison ivy at this point uh house and garden is a spectacular episode to begin the season on and i think uh it really really plays a lot with uh with genre with character and um i mean it's it's fascinating because it begins this uh this kind of trend or theme of subversion and uh, the idea that um, like, maybe you don't know these characters as well as you thought. Right. Um, I guess just to, to give a little synopsis spoilers ahead for, for any of these episodes, if you haven't seen anything, but uh, the big uh, twist of this is we find out poison Ivy has decided to lead a normal life she's married she has kids and quote unquote allegedly. yeah oh man <laughs> so there there are there are kind of two plots running simultaneously one is there's this weird hulking creature who's kidnapping uh wealthy young men uh one of them is dick grayson as yeah. as we've established he gets a lot of play in this uh but batman and robin come to the conclusion that uh, Ivy is connected somehow. And, oh man, one of the, one of the scariest memories I have of, of my childhood watching this is them going into uh, like this, this basement in Ivy's greenhouse and you see a bunch of cabbages 
and just hear in this creepy little kid voice, mom, and it opens up and you see she's growing these, these kids. And uh, you find out that the, this hulking monster is actually an advanced version of this child because they, they're basically grown into plant monsters over the span of a couple of days. And you find out uh, this entire life that she's constructed is a lie. So then, obviously, you have the big climax, but then, uh, actually, kind of tying this into Maddie, because they yeah, did a video on this, you find out that Ivy can also make plant copies of herself. Oof. And that, I feel like that opened up the floodgates for, like, all sorts of thoughts, because, I mean, like, up until that point, I thought Poison Ivy was just a normal lady who could control plants, but you find out... Um, the, these characters can tap into their powers in all sorts of interesting ways. And, uh, I mean, from there, I think the season does a pretty great job of kind of, you know, sampling different things uh, from different characters. Yeah, absolutely. And and definitely, shout out to Maddie, their channel, uh, Watchtower Database, did a mm-hmm. full-on episode diving into this and the theories behind the fake eye fake ivy and all this stuff wonderfully done as all of their videos are but yeah that episode like i remember when i was a kid that episode gave me nightmares because like it's terrifying and a reminder ladies and gentlemen for those of you who are old enough that old school film soylent green took place in 2022 (laughs) don't forget this is the year soylent green oh no but yeah that episode and then also I mean, let's just talk about it. Bane was something that, because this was, again, my introduction to the Bane character. And immediately, and maybe it's just because I was a child and I have grown into an adult that echoes a lot of the things that I like as a child. I was like, oh, he's a luchador? I'm in. I'm interested (laughs) in this character. What's his deal? Will he hit a powerbomb? And... I just remember being terrified by this gigantic man who in the opening of that episode, we see him go up against Killer Croc, who in this season gets a great episode inside. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely get bodied by this guy who is just as smart as he is strong. And his physical transformation and what he could do to Batman was terrifying. And this season i think definitely leans into oh y'all thought there were some scary stuff in season one well let me show you what we can do with a slightly bigger budget and they go all out in this season and i really appreciate that um another performance that i think really sings uh, robert costanzo as detective bullock he oh yeah is iconic and Shout out to our guest for next week uh, is featured very heavily in the episode A Bullet for Bullock, which is Matt Draper's favorite episode. It is uh, it's a wonderful noir piece. And Robert Costanzo, and I've said this before and I will continue to say this, he is iconic. Like you can pick his voice out of a lineup and he's literally the only voice I will ever hear for Bullock for the rest of my life. And that episode is incredible. Just the way the twists, the turns, the reveals, so good. And he pulls it all together. But going back to Bane, like the performance by Henry Silva as this like 
super low calculated he reminds me actually of i can't remember his name but uh old country no country for old men oh uh anton chigur yes javier bardem yeah Yeah. make an incredible vein uh he's he's terrifying like he's low he's confident he knows exactly what's going to happen and it's not until they slash his tube in the most nonchalant way to solve a fight that i've ever seen a villain be taken down that he you know there's any kind of weakness shown for him but i love that bane episode it's incredible and henry Silva is a big big part of that but a performance that i don't think a lot of people talk about is allison laplaca who plays baby doll she oh yeah incredible and that is another i would say a horror episode in a different sense it's psychological it's terrifying because this person who was this you know famous child actor who just never grew up both literally and metaphorically like takes her former co-stars hostage and it is terrifying to think about and it you know it's one of those episodes that doesn't end in a big punch him up but it is one of the most tragic and sad episodes of the entire series as well yeah the i mean i think you're absolutely right her performance is incredible that coupled with the uh, uh the the visual sequence at the end where uh they're running through the fun house and yeah. she's she's trying to smash all of the the reflections because she keeps seeing batman and then she turns and uh, the last mirror is uh, what she wants to see in herself and she destroys that too before just kind of giving up is heartbreaking yeah. and i think it i mean that really to me cemented uh kind of a big underpinning in this version of batman which is to say he doesn't just uh you know punch his criminals and lock them away he i think in a way he empathizes with them because he's gone through a form of what they've gone through uh so he doesn't just want to um you know put them in prison he wants to help them yeah and i think that's fully on display in uh, harley's holiday yeah great episode arlene sorkin is the goat but (laughs) that episode is so cool because she becomes almost this charlie brown-esque character where it's just like no matter what she does she just can't stay away from trouble and almost every scene you could just preface with (laughs) well let's see what she falls and stumbles into next but by the end of the episode you get that really sweet moment with Harley and Batman where she's like you had a bad day too once night you know nice guys like you shouldn't have bad days and there was just like this great moment where he wants them to succeed as well and you will never ever see any kind of like rapport between Batman and his villains like you'll see in that episode where she lays Mm -hmm. a smack just slays a smack right on the lips and goes call me he's like don't push your luck with a little (laughs) like that's wally west levels of having a rapport with your villains yeah that you won't see in other batman media and that episode just it's a damn near perfect episode for that character yeah i mean it's it's funny that you should mention harley because uh 
kind of similar to what Robin got, she gets a lot more play this season too. And I think, uh, I don't know who I'd credit directly for that. I know Paul Dini had a huge hand in co-creating her and he was one of the writers. So obviously uh, she got a lot more play that way. But uh, you you see her in various appearances, but also... um, she she's elevated to a co-lead in some episodes i know she mm-hmm. she first appears in harlequinade which is i mean it's it's kind of a more comedic episode yeah. uh you know she helps batman in a kind of buddy cop way i always see it as that um as that batman harley quinn movie that they released way later but like done way better <laughs> because <laughs> uh i mean like you it hints at so many things in in such a light touch kind of way. You yeah. see, uh, you see the kind of the tragedy behind her character, and specifically, you see the beginnings of her dynamic with the Joker. The fact that like they're clearly incompatible with one another, yeah. and um, like you don't see a lot of the animosity that you'll get later, but you you definitely see like he he doesn't care about her. And I think she has yet to realize that. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's just so interesting seeing all of that set up. Like, the, they they have all of these ideas very clearly defined, but they're just kind of, you know, kind of testing the waters to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and this, I mean, Harlequinade came out years before Mad Love, but we mm-hmm. get in that episode the mention of, like, oh, yeah, she used to work at Arkham. And there's all these hints at, like, yeah. what is going on? How did these characters cross paths with each other? And I love that. It doesn't go out of its way to show you that because they know that they can save that for another episode. But they do enough to still keep you locked in and they keep you invested even though there's you know lots of questions and another episode that does that is showdown showdown is a dark horse episode that i completely forgot about yeah until I, I rewatched it for this showdown's a jota hex episode y'all and it's like his first appearance in the dcau uh he's voiced by bill mckinney doing a phenomenal job and it's basically Jonah Hex versus Ra's al Ghul. And if that sounds like an amazing story, you'd be right. I love the framing device of the modern day stuff with this, you know, there's this Egyptian scroll we got to figure out. And then you flash back and it's all about the Transcontinental Railroad in 1883. <laughs> and you expect like Arthur Morgan to ride by at some point. But like, it's, it's just, it's a great episode and it's, incredibly batman light which is really stunning and a i think a testament to how strong a show and its characters are that you can have an episode that doesn't focus on your title character and it still be incredibly satisfying to watch yeah i mean looking back it's so weird to say this is like this is the first kind of steps towards what would become the DC animated universe, right? Yeah. It's the first time they, they brought a character in from outside Batman. And while uh, I think the framing device is, is a little loose, like I could definitely tell they're just like, what if we just did a story about Jonah Hex? Like, uh, oh, we got to put that out of it somehow. Yeah. But I mean, that said, they still managed to do so much interesting stuff with it. Like the idea that they, they built 
uh, a little bit of a backstory into Raish in mm-hmm. that episode too is is such a such a masterful twist and uh it's definitely indicative of a lot of stuff that was to come because jonah hex does come back later uh, if you're a fan of justice league and uh i mean yeah it's it's such a it's such a humble little way of saying yeah we we can do a lot more just you wait yeah it's it's one of those again the, that proof that the storytelling is strong enough that if they've got a good idea you can trust them to see it through and don't get me wrong like there are episodes that feature like the cast that they've established like you get second chance mm. face episode um two-face which i really i appreciate just like mr freeze who also gets his second episode in this season uh they used very sparingly because they knew the weight of him mattered. Yeah. In... Especially with this version of him as Bruce's friend. Like, there is a a very palpable tension between them. And you can definitely see that in this episode. Uh, which informs a lot of the, the mystery at, uh, at the heart of it. I don't know if... Like, should we talk spoilers for this one? Because I feel like you have to really experience this. I, I, I don't want to talk too much spoilers because there is the twist in this is incredible. Oh, it's so good. And the episode as a whole, I think, does a great job in setting up that central mystery. Because I'm, I'm a sucker for a good mystery. And mm-hmm. luckily, the show has several very good mysteries. <laughs> but this is definitely one of them that I, I think is better off if you if you discover it and experience it for yourself. Um, but I mentioned Mr. Freeze. We got our second Mr. Freeze episode, Deep Freeze. No, third episode. No, second episode. No, no, I think this is the second one. Yeah. Because there was Heart of Ice, then Deep Freeze, and then... Um, yeah. Right. So the Mr. Freeze episodes are always strong. And they're always a little bit, you know, a little bit, a lot of bit dark. And we get the, you know, the introduction of this billionaire Grant Walker who wants Mr. Freeze to essentially, like make me into you and let's kick off the next ice age and you get to see kind of a disillusioned victor freeze just like i guess like this this is my lot in life and i'm now just gonna have to do this but we also get the best thing about this show it's batman fighting robots batman fighting robots is incredibly important in any batman story Oh yeah, large or small, and it's you know it does a great job continuing on that story. I think Victor Freeze across the DC animated universe has a great story, mostly for the fact that you can follow it because he makes so few episode episode appearances, and this is a great one to follow up on Heart of Ice. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go off on a little side tangent before it continues, but. Uh, yeah, just specifically talking about the robots. I Something that I found out that is very interesting is that uh, this whole episode took heavy inspiration from um, a, uh, a Miyazaki movie called, I think it's... Really? Yeah, I think it's uh, Castle in the Sky. Because they had... Oh my god, uh, I can totally see that. I know, because it's it's a series of kind of ancient robots yeah. that have uh, like the, the flappy arms... Uh, 
I, I wouldn't say it's like thematically inspired. It's just, it's really fun to look at that. And specifically, they also have a Blade Runner reference in there. They yes. brought they brought that guy back to to voice Carl Rossum, which I think is really fun. Uh, but yeah, back to uh, Mr. Freeze, which is, again, like one of my favorite parts of Batman the Animated Series. I think you're totally right. Uh, he has this clear, consistent arc from... Uh, kind of a, a one-off villain to a more reluctant, I don't want to say anti-hero, but he's definitely someone you can really understand yeah. more over the course of this series. And um, a very interesting thing that they do is they kind of, um, they cap this off with a, a happy ending for Mr. Freeze. Uh, ah. Like, I, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't want to spoil anything, but uh, it, it definitely addresses a lot of uh, his central conceit from Heart of Ice. It gives him more of a direction as a character. And because of that, he, he has this singular focus kind of going forward, um, kind of tying this into another hallmark from, uh, from my early years. Uh, if you've never seen the direct-to-video movie Sub-Zero... Incredible. It's so good, because that's that just picks up directly where this left off, and you you see more of, uh, of Mr. Freeze, and kind of now that he has a direction, how far he's willing to go to kind of keep what he has. Plus uh, one of the best animated car chases I've ever seen. Oh, it's, yeah. It's incredible. Oh, I, Mr. Freeze is, is such a good character in this. There's just a, a wealth of pathos, no matter what you put him in. You can make him, uh, you can make him a, a head in a jar, and he's still really interesting. And they did, and he was. Yeah. Just, to, just to peek behind the curtain there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of villains with incredible pathos, uh, we're also introduced in the episode Make Him Laugh to the Condiment King. Oh, that's right. His appearance. Um, make him laugh's really fun because you get to see how petty the Joker is. Mm -hmm. as a person. Like we always kind of go to, and I think the animated series specifically did a great job on highlighting the darkness in that character. But sometimes I know I forget. Yeah. He's also like a stupid, silly clown who wants people <laughs> to laugh. And so, like, him getting incredibly petty that he didn't win the Gotham's Funniest Person competition, like, it's it's wonderful. And he takes out, you know, his, his Joker's three-way revenge on the judges and decides, I'm going to go up there again, throwing on a voice that I did not think would come out of Mark Hamill. Like, when he's in his, like, comedian disguise, I'm like, that's not... Is that Mark Hamill? <laughs> like, it's wonderful. But that episode's just really fun, and it gives a little bit of brevity to the series that is, like, and especially to the season that has a lot of dark moments. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's a line that, uh, I forget who says it. I, I want to say it was Alan Burnett, who um, in the, in the behind-the-scenes documentary says, we really wanted to find a good balance between the clown and the killer and i think that is the is the secret to why this joker works so well because uh you never know kind of which way he's gonna tip exactly and that 
like that's how you keep them interesting. You don't you don't rely on uh, I guess pardon the pun like one bag of tricks. You kind of you you do the whole thing and you really make him an unpredictable character. And I mean, going back to performances, a lot of that comes down to Mark Hamill, who is incredible. I mean, I, this isn't really a hot take, but Mark Hamill is really good at what he does. <laughs> you know who else is really good at what they do? Uh, John Glover. Mm. He plays the Riddler in one of the best episodes of not just the season, but the entire series. Riddler's reform is iconic. Riddler's oh, reform I... is so good. And I forgot how clever the episode is. It really much like all of the riddler episodes it really does make the audience you have to think about it and you get to solve the riddles alongside batman and robin which is really cool but we get to see years before paul dini tried it again in the pages of gotham city sirens a reformed riddler for the moment yeah. uh try to make it as a toy tycoon with old school you know toy commercials i remember old toy commercials where the guy's just like, hey, check out how cool my toy is. Come <laughs> yeah. my toy at your local toy retailer. And watching him just, I think my favorite part about it is that he's genuinely, like, you get the sense, and again, we're, we're, we're trying to go as light on spoilers as possible, but, like, you get the sense that he's really trying to make an effort while having there's something going on and there's darkness to him but the scene where he's just kind of overwhelmed by people like hey you're great blah 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 and these two you know beautiful women come up and they're like (laughs) we're so interested in you tell us about your toys he's just like oh my god is this what it means to be legitimate (laughs) this is incredible i i love when you get to see villains kind of out of their comfort zone and that scene is dynamite when it comes to that yeah and going back to john glover too i it's so funny because everybody talks about mark hamill and the kind of wacky unhinged energy he brings to this Mm -hmm. but john glover as the riddler is incredible He, he brings this um kind of manic obsession to the character that i i love to see there Again, light on spoilers. There is one moment where we kind of get uh, a glimpse into just how he can't really let things go, how he can't uh, not know an answer. Uh, he's just screaming at the top of his lungs, and it's... I have to like, know, like, his cracking. Oh, it's so entertaining and horrifying, and... Uh, it just goes to show how well this cast is built. I mean, John Glover is great in pretty much anything, but uh, I I can't hear the Riddler as anybody else after after seeing him. Absolutely, and they do a great job in this series of making many villains approachable and empathetic enough that you can see where they're coming from. They decide not to do that with the Riddler at all. Like he's a dick. <laughs> But there's something about him that you're you're just it's magnetic. And yeah. you want to see him get his face punched. He has one the Riddler just in general has one of the most punchable faces in all of comics. And well that and uh he has that very specific laugh. I I don't even think uh you hear him laugh 
when when he's doing a scene with Batman, but there's uh, a flashback later where Bruce is going over it, and they add a little laugh later where he goes, ha, 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 ha. And I remember listening to that for the first time, my blood boiled. It's like, <laughs> if, if I got outsmarted by a guy who made that laugh, I would be mad. And I mean, I'll I'll be completely honest. I have never been as angry at a Riddler as I was in those Arkham games because that oh yeah, um, McWinger is incredible at what he does and making you want to punch him physically. But like <laughs> this Riddler sets the groundwork for that. Mm-hmm. Like any time, like when there's a line at a certain point where like uh where riddler's like batman's here because he doesn't have a clue it's like shut up man i want to kick you so hard like he's so full of himself and he's so superior and it gives him a different flavor than you would get from like a joker or a two-face and i really really dig that his voice feels markedly different from other villains they do a great job across the board of their villains each having a unique identity i mean kind of building off that too i'll, I'll say they, they take a lot of chances this season a lot of it pays off some of it like i'm, I'm not gonna say they don't land a hundred percent of the time but that said there's still a lot of really interesting stuff going on we could talk uh, about lying the unicorn it's okay oh, can... oh i was gonna say uh the terrible trio first that no please they... you're right they do. They swing for, for the fences a lot of uh, a lot of the time, and uh, the terrible trio is a great example of a very interesting concept that doesn't quite have the execution to back it up. I mean, you mentioned that uh, they they consolidated a lot of the animation. Uh, I think it was the same studio that ended up doing Robin's Reckoning, so it had this very polished, very um, kind of very. Uh, high prestige look uh terrible trio doesn't have that no. i i don't want to throw shade because you know <laughs> especially animation studios they work hard but the terrible trio looks a little bit clunkier than some of the other episodes and the story is definitely more i'm gonna say procedural than than the other episodes but that said they're introducing these villains they're building them up and they they definitely flip the script a little bit because instead of victims of society these guys are just jerks (laughs) they're like rich assholes it's like they decided okay we're gonna do the batman the animated series version of the mean street posse oh you're right we're gonna have these three dickheads like (laughs) decide oh we're bored with our money let's try and terrorize the city instead yeah i I just bet if you took off those bomber jackets they'd all have like permanently popped collars underneath for sure members only jackets in the whole and uh i mean on the one hand i i really like that idea the the idea that they're kind of I'm not going to say they're gentleman thieves, but they're definitely kind of upper upper crust uh, jerks who who kind of want to make a sport of it. Right. And it's interesting to see they they run in the same circles as Bruce Wayne, so it's kind of interesting to pit him against uh, kind of his um, his fellow socialites in a way. Right. I kind of like. I wish that they'd folded more of the, um, of that sphere in because like one of the the regular characters that I think would have done very well here is uh, 
oh, what's her name? Veronica Vreeland. Absolutely. I feel like you could have easily added a little bit of a little bit of spice by having her act as a go-between. Because mm-hmm. the minute these guys go away, you never see them again, which is a shame because I think they could uh, they could really play with the mythology a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think what other uh, what other episodes sort of kind of don't hit the mark for me. I guess um, Time Out of Joint is another great example. Which is a shame because that first yeah. knocking episode is so strong. I to me, it's it indicates that um, oh, where am I going with this? I feel like it could have worked very well in a Superman episode because I, some of these go very high concept. Yeah, um, Deep Freeze works very well because it's kind of like Batman and Robin discover this hidden world, whereas. Um, Time out of joint is kind of just throwing a high tech uh, concept and going, yeah, this will work. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I love seeing the Clock King. I love seeing um, absolutely, yeah, any kind of uh, experimentation. But I think but, yeah, that episode specifically would have worked much better if it was a Flash episode. Oh yeah, like if the, if there is one hope that I have for. <laughs> The Flash season nine, the final season on the CW, we get the Clock King in this specific situation against Barry Allen, where he has to run really fast and then run faster than he has before. I I I love the Clock King. The first episode I think is great. This one I was because I forgot that there were two Clock King. Episodes. I know because you forget. I in my in my head he goes from Clock King straight to Task Force X, and that is the <laughs> chronology of the DCAU. He's been locked up since then. But so forget that time out of joint is a thing that happens. And it's yeah, a reason that definitely we is a thing that happens. It, it's not <laughs> great. It's not great. And honestly, I mean, I also don't love Catwalk, the ventriloquist mm-hmm. episode. It's not a terrible idea on paper, much like you said with time out of joint. Like on paper, I think they had a great idea. The execution of it just isn't strong yeah which is unfortunate because i think catwoman unfortunately doesn't have a lot of strong episodes in the show and it sucks because she doesn't have a lot of appearances in the show like she yeah. much more play in new batman adventures with her redesign and her weird thing with dick grayson which i still don't know how to feel about but it's it's unfortunate because I do think that there are opportunities, like with, like you said, like doing big swings and trying to make something out of nothing or out of characters that we don't uh, normally get stories about, like our good buddy Lockup. Oh, yeah, I have a lot to say about Lockup. It's one of those things that is a very straightforward episode, but it sets up so many fun little implications and it plays on so much of the of the world building that you see because up until this point uh arkham asylum has just been kind of a a back at the ranch moment where you see these these prisoners kind of being taken to this uh nightmarish facility where we never really see what happens to them until they break out again yeah but um this i mean Lockup. It's also a weirdly like relevant episode. Yeah. Modern days, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's it 
plays on the idea of okay but like who would who would run a facility like this <laughs> like how would you how would you treat your prisoners if they're in a facility like this and we kind of start to get a peek behind the curtain and maybe get a hint as to why these criminals aren't reforming why it's so cyclical and the idea is there is something rotten in the system yeah. uh, specifically there is a chief of security who is very brutal who kind of embraces the idea that uh these criminals aren't people they're symptoms of a societal disease that must be punished and um we get to see kind of the the difference between this very single-minded vengeful guy and batman who actively wants to make the world better and i think um i mean we're both on twitter we see the same takes circulate over and over and over again so it's great to see an episode that even before twitter was a thing addresses that dynamic that he's not just a guy who (laughs) who beats up the mentally ill but wants to help people yeah and it's it's funny because like there is i mean looking at like current events with the you know the discourse around police brutality and like all of that being again strangely relevant for a cartoon that came out in 1994 um lockup's a fascinating character that i don't think quite reaches the heights that he could mm-hmm. uh, He's a character who I think almost doesn't fit in a kid's show, even though calling Batman the Animated Series a kid's show is a big stretch. (laughs) Um, But he's a character who you would, I mean, you could easily see in The Wire. Like, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest missed opportunities for Arkham City is that they never had Lockup be a character because he was tailor-made for that story. Yeah. And you could have put him in into the role that Anarchy had in that, and I 100%. feel like it was amazing. He he's I mean, and have him be voiced by Michael Chiklis because that's, <laughs> that's what it is. But like, I was again sidebar here. I was convinced when Michael Chiklis showed up on Gotham that he was going to turn into Lockup, and then they made him the Executioner, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, what is the what is the reasoning behind this? You have a perfectly good character. Well, good is is yeah. This is Gotham. What's not? Like, like you have a like a perfectly suited character in lockup to turn this character into to enforce the whole like taking things too far and losing the humanity, you know, the humanity and trying to be law enforcement. And you went with the executioner. What are we doing, Gotham? But yeah, I, I can I can go for ages and ages about Gotham and <laughs> and, and, and the weird choices that they made. And one day <laughs> I'm gonna just put it out in the universe. We will, we will talk about Gotham. But it's it's interesting because there is a lot of reflection on Batman as a character in this show, and namely, I think the greatest example, Trial. It is a it is an iconic episode. Originally, was supposed to be a movie. That they really were. yes, this was originally going to be the uh, the next film after Mask of the Phantasm, and they decided to go with Sub Zero instead because they didn't want to deal with they didn't want to do the story. 
they wanted to do they wanted to do Sub Zero because it was going to tie in with uh, Batman and Robin, a movie that did famously well, famously well, and everyone loves it to this day. But Trial, I would love to see a feature length version of Trial because it was also supposed to include Robin. Oh. Um, it was basically like Batman and Robin, and we'll talk about this again uh, in our fourth installment with Troy, but it was originally supposed to be like a full feature length where Batman and Robin get trapped in Arkham Asylum and they get put on trial by the inmates. And a lot of that DNA is still in here, but they do a phenomenal job giving us a different perspective with Janet Van Dorn, the DA after Harvey Dent. And you start the story off with her already disillusioned being like, this guy's creating all the problems. I came here from such and such small big city and I come in here and you guys are a madhouse and no one sees the problem with tall, dark and pointy over here, like swooping in and causing all these guys and gals to become villains. And then she is the person who is put up to be his defense attorney. And she's going up against the previous DA, Harvey Dent, Two-Face. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful setup for one of the best episodes in the entire show. Yeah, I mean, it, this ties into so much in, in so many different directions. I Because you mentioned this was supposed to be the second uh, animated movie. So I assume this came out after Mask of the Phantasm, right? I believe so, yeah. Okay, so... I mean, you also build directly on the idea that the DA is out to get Batman because you have That's uh, the last guy voiced by Ellis from Die Hard, who is right. a full-on, like, mob enforcer guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're you very predisposed uh, to think, like, this, uh, this DA, this new DA is rigid and inflexible. But uh, you kind of you have this great journey where you you see how she feels about Batman and obviously um, seeing how many villains have propped up since the series began, you, you yeah, can definitely you start to empathize with her a little bit. <laughs> but um, like over the course of that, she does a great job of deconstructing uh, how each of these villains kind of represent different elements of a broken society not to not to use the Joker term, but also how how Batman has kind of risen up as a response to that. And I think it's it's very interesting because talking about uh, another great comic that could have influenced this or could have kind of been a contemporary Arkham Asylum kind mm -hmm. of proposed this idea that Batman is, just as uh, unhinged or on edge as the people he puts away. And this this is a great kind of mirror to that because while it, it definitely makes a lot of links between Batman and the criminals he fights, it also kind of paints him as a very necessary response to a, a kind of crime that we've never seen before. Because um, you, you obviously see the rise of super criminals, but you also see a force for good that can act against them. And it's really cool kind of, I don't know, uh, experiencing an episode that lays out the entire thesis for who Batman is and yeah. why he's necessary, you know? 
while also giving you like the greatest hits of the villains that have oh, yeah. featured across the show. Like I will never forget the cross-examination of the Mad Hatter. It's one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in the entire show where it's just like they are laying out like I only went after her because, you know, Batman was such a problem and he wouldn't leave us alone. And Janet just goes, did you ever think of just, you know, not respecting her wishes, respecting her wishes and not being a total creep. And he just goes, I'd have killed her first. And he pauses and he's like, um, can we get that stricken from the record? And Joker <laughs> just goes, wait, is someone writing this down? Oh, like, yeah, that's right. We, we didn't mention that Joker is the judge in this scenario. <laughs> it's so good. And they have multiple villains that they cross-examine talking about their experience, their viewpoint of how Batman has messed up their lives. And like you said, Janet dresses down and deconstructs each and every one of them. So you're not just getting a thesis statement on Batman. You're also getting this is what drives each of these villains that we love. And then when the verdict comes in, and again, not spoiling that verdict because it is the one of the best parts of the episode um it everything makes sense like mm. these terrible people these terrible criminals are not just the best part of batman's stories but they're also just fascinating characters in their own right and that's why stuff like the recent um uh one bad day series that's going on right now in the comics oh yeah i like and stuff about uh, that is just it's a phenomenal idea you know having these stories as we're recording this only one of them has come out so far and it is noise uh <laughs> one bad day the riddler number one go check it out tom king mitch jared's uh nightmares i've never been so uh terrified to look at a basketball court in my entire life oh wow uh, it's a great great comic but I would say in that way, just like that comic, like you do a good deconstruction on not just the the pathos behind Batman, but also the effect that Batman has on the story. And you get to watch as this new DA who starts off the episode like, man, Batman sure does suck, doesn't he? Starts to get on the same page and starts to realize like, oh, wait a second, maybe he's not like, obviously there are problems here. He's a man in a bat costume, but like maybe he's not the problem and i love how they do that character arc mm -hmm. yeah i mean going back to to just the the episode and kind of what you said about it my one critique is that i wish we had more of it yes this needed like, to be a this, yeah like knowing this could have been an animated movie or a two-parter i i wish we got to see every villain kind of go through this because uh like seeing this as an evolution of almost got him yeah. I, I would have loved to have seen somebody like Croc get cross-examined. It was just cartoonishly evil yeah. and tried to like just spin a story. Like you, you're a cannibal. What, what can you possibly do to justify yourself? Batman made me want to eat people. He made me want to throw a rock at him. <laughs> And it was a big rock. Like <laughs> I, I love Killer Croc's character. Um, he's great. He's he's great, especially in this show. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the the show as a whole does a great job of 
spotlighting these characters, but making sure you are entertained while also learning something. Every single episode has something to take away from it. These characters have enough empathy within them that you can learn something from their story. Even, again, with the most cartoonishly evil people, there is something to be learned from there about whether it's their upbringing or their mental state or their, you know, their home situation. Like, there are things about these characters that I don't think get spotlighted enough in adaptations and even in the comics to be honest like you hit the nail on the head earlier like batman's greatest strength and the reason that these characters pop up time and time again is because he does believe that they can be rehabilitated he does believe that they can be saved and that's something that i think he shares especially this version of the character shares a lot with the superman of the same universe um both of their shows are not about fighting and beating up the villains both of their shows are about how can i how can i save this person and i absolutely love that about this show and this season does a great job continuing that narrative and that story yeah i mean even if i may dig a little deep here uh it's so interesting learning more and more about kevin conroy as batman in particular because if anybody has had a chance to read the amazing story that he did for dc's pride anthology uh it it completely yeah it it broke open the entire character for me because uh the way he frames it um he obviously was in a very dark place in his life and to to channel that and make uh a character that you could embody uh, all of the fear that you feel, but also the the power to turn that into something good is nothing short of inspirational. And it, to me, that is why, again, no disrespect to anybody else, but Kevin Conroy is the only Batman for me. Yeah. I'm right there with that character from, from, on the page in the character to in his everyday to day life like kevin conroy is the batman that we need and deserve and there will never be anyone who tops that list like he does he that is a very steep mountain to climb and i don't think anybody came with the right gear to make it up that high um Dietrich Bader's close. Not quite. He's great. He's great. Don't get me wrong. Dietrich Bader, especially making the jump stylistically and uh, tonally from Brave and the Bull to Harley Quinn. Oh, man. A a certain amount of range that actors don't just come with. You Mm -hmm. have to be skilled at being able to do that. Um, But... I I love this show. I love this season. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the uh, on the season or anything we didn't cover? Oh gosh, it's funny because I feel like we've covered all of the episodes, just not not in like a linear order. I if I had any final thoughts, I'd just say this is a series that ages incredibly well. It's something that I keep coming back to every so often, like whenever I'm in a different part of my life. And I, it, it just gets richer every time I view it. And um, all I'm going to say is to, if, um, if you follow a mutual friend of ours, Matt Draper, he just did a spectacular retrospective on yes. Batman, the animated series. 
He looks at, I think, his 30 personal favorite episodes. Uh, it's a, an amazing companion piece, and that's what got me back into it. So um, I'd wholeheartedly recommend you, you take a look at that. Take a look at uh, Maddie's stuff at Watchtower Database, because there's such a wealth to these characters in this universe that, um, I mean, you could look at it forever and you never stop finding something new. It's true. They, they expanded that universe to the point where they are still telling stories now about it. And I love that. And absolutely we're, we're doing this thing all September. So if you want, listen to an episode, go watch that Matt Draper video again. You listen to an episode, go watch another video from Watchtower Database. Like September belongs to Batman the Animated Series as mm-hmm. well as Sly Cooper and Spawn. So oh, it's a, dropping it's, Sly it's, Cooper, I see. It's a big, it's a big <laughs> Saturday morning September, Sly Timber, Spawn Timber. September's a big packed month for content, ladies and gentlemen. All the September hashtags. Make Every, your own hashtag make your own <laughs> submit it as long as you also put blame lockup just <laughs> keep that let's get that going um I, I love that we get to sit down and talk about this uh and again mentioned it before uh go subscribe to doug's youtube channel for every kind of geek it's incredible doug is the darby allen of comic tube he's on the rise He's stylistically and tonally different from everybody. He's unique. Go check out his stuff. It's incredible. And also go bug him on Twitter and tell him to either make good videos because he's already doing that, but getting support is always a good thing. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Absolutely, dude. It's it's easy to, you know, to recommend good stuff. So uh yeah, go check him out. Um I believe the uh handle is every kind of geek on Twitter yeah yeah um on youtube for every kind of geek everywhere else at every kind of geek hell yeah and this as i've said before is not the first time doug has been on the show uh you can go check out previous episodes that he's been on uh we did the jimuary special uh with Cole from <laughs> critical rants in january which is a ton of fun and we also did the very first rebuilding the x-men way back in january of 2020 so go back and check that out check out all of his videos they're amazing and uh stay tuned because we're only halfway through saturday morning september we still got a whole nother season with a whole new art style as well as some films so stay tuned saturday morning september rolls on same bat time same bat channel Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, uh, it was very difficult. It was very, very difficult to decide. But ultimately, I chose the champ, the new champion of Shazam number two, written by Josie Campbell with art by Evan Doc Shaner. I mean, it's a book made especially for me. It's wonderful. Um, I'm sad that we're already halfway 
done with this series. It's only a four-issue miniseries. Hopefully this leads to a bigger ongoing down the line, but for now I'm just enjoying the ride. But that's last week's books. This week we've got eight books for you to check out, so let's go ahead and dive into this list. Kicking things off with The Amazing Spider-Man, number nine. This is written by Zeb Wells with art by Patrick Gleason. And this one is funny, right? Because this is a tie-in to the Hellfire Gala. You know, that event that happened two months ago? (laughs) Um, This is what happens when uh, scheduling does not line up with everybody. But I love any time Patrick Leeson gets to draw Spider-Man, so I'm very excited about this. Uh, For those of you who aren't aware or didn't read that uh, Hellfire Gala special, there was some, some shenanigans going on. And Spider-Man and Wolverine were tasked with solving said shenanigans, so this is continuing on that story. So this takes place both after the current stuff that's going on in Spider-Man, but also before the uh, events of Judgment Day and stuff like that. So for those of you who aren't in the know, there's your frame of mind for that. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Something happens at the Hellfire Gala that sends Spider-Man and Wolverine on a dangerous mission all over creation. That's right, the best duo in comics is back, but who are they fighting and what or who are they fighting for? So, again, it's pretty much explaining what I already did, but... It should be a good time. It should be a good, if nothing else, we get to see Wolverine and Spider-Man team up, and that's always a good time. Next up, we have Daredevil number three. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Rafael De La Torre. And this is continuing on the uh, Matt and Elektra rebuilding the fist to battle the hand storyline. I am very interested to see how this goes, because the first couple issues have been a lot of setup. Good setup with some gorgeous art and some really good character work, but I'm ready for this to start moving, right? So let's hope hope that this third issue uh, basically gets us kicked off on that. Uh, so let's dive into the synopsis. The Red Fist Saga, Part 3. Daredevil Saves the World. With more ambitious and aggressive goals than ever before, Daredevil has started putting together a team. But not everyone wants to be a part of Matt Murdock and Electra Nachios' vision of the future. As Matt and Electra grow increasingly distant from the superhero community and closer to one another, Daredevil will once again be at odds with heroes and villains alike. So Daredevil Saves the World, that's a pretty good uh, pretty good indication that we're going to be ramping things up. I'm interested because this seems like a story that I can't off the top of my head think that we've gotten with Daredevil before. Him and Elektra essentially Bonnie and Clyding it around the world, building together like a little uh, heist team or some kind of team. And as it said, like growing more distant from superheroes and closer to one another... It's going to be really interesting to see how this rolls out, especially with all the foreshadowing that one of them is going to betray the other eventually. So, should be something to keep your eye on. Next up, we have a Dark Crisis tie-in. It's Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Wonder Woman number one. Or, Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, Worlds Without a Justice League, Wonder Woman number one. All of the titles, all of the words. Uh, this is written by Teeny Howard and Dan Waters with art by Leila Del Luca and Brandon Peterson. And this is continuing on the uh, Worlds Without a Justice League tie-in stuff where, as we found out, the Justice League have not been killed. They've just been 
put into parallel earths to power pariah's machine so this is the wonder woman slash martian manhunter chapter let's go ahead and dive into this when Pariah and his forces of the Great Darkness laid waste to the most powerful superheroes of all time, all hope was lost. Until now. To power his weapons of war, Pariah has captured each member of the Justice League and trapped them on worlds suited to their very dream and desire, while the planets themselves slowly eat away at their respective inhabitants. As Wonder Woman begins a new chapter in her life, Pariah has uprooted her to a reality he controls. How will the Amazon princess adapt? Also, Dan Waters and Brandon Peterson combine forces for a noir tale featuring the Martian Manhunter. Where there's life, there's hope. And with that hope comes a deeper unraveling of the tapestry of the DCU's biggest event of 2022. I think Martian Manhunter works best in noir stories for whatever reason. I think the detective aspect of Martian Manhunter isn't one that's given enough uh, spotlight enough. So I'm really excited to read this. I'm also really interested to see if any of Diana's time in the God Sphere traveling through different realms is going to affect her in this story. I, I feel like it should, right? Because now that she's been on the outside of the multiverse, something's got to feel off with her right because she's made those i don't know i don't know i i might be just shooting in the dark but i feel like that might come into play so we will see i will admit the uh worlds without justice league the tie-ins are hit and miss i didn't love the green lantern one but i absolutely adored the superman run so we'll see where this falls in that spectrum Next up, we have X-Men Red number six. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli. We are going to get the aftermath of Uranus's raising of Arako. And I'm excited to see how they bounce back from this because they left us with a hell of a cliffhanger at the end of issue five. So let's see how this all shakes out. Battle for the Broken Land. Planet Arako chose peace over war. Now war has chosen them. The monstrous arsenal of the Eternals is on the march. The Iraqi must defend their broken land according to the ancient laws. But against an enemy even older than they are, can the old ways win, or is a new Arako about to be born? So I've spoken about this both on the podcast and with friends that I felt really bad for the X-Men Red team because it felt like they just got started when... Karen Gillan and Judgment Day came in and said, oh, hey, this world you're building, it's gone now. So I am interested to see how they bounce back from this. This is probably the tie-in that I'm most invested in. So I'm really, really excited to see how they bounce back. Next up, we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 15. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Sian Tormi. And I believe, unless I am... Uh, unless I am mistaken that we are about to uh, get into this big climax of the Superman versus Bendix story. Either it's going to be here or it's going to be in the next issue, I think. So it's all out war. The revolutionaries have made their way to Bendix's island and uh, we're going to see what happens. Let's dive into the synopsis. This is it. The ultimate battle pitting Superman and the forces of the truth against Bendix and his monstrous machinations has begun. But victory will be an uphill climb for our heroes as they lay siege to Gamora. Plus, the smooch heard round the world. 
so yeah, uh, it's it's interesting to me that they are framing it this way. It, it does seem like this is a big thing. I wonder, I'm interested to see how, what smooch they're talking about because this Superman has been a lot of, under a lot of scrutiny, both in-universe and in the real world. So I'm interested to see how this story wraps up. Next up, we have AXE Judgment Day number four. Uh, this is written by Karen Gillan with art by Valeria Shiti. And I mean, as I've said before, Judgment Day rules. Judgment Day has been fantastic. I've really, really enjoyed it. And the tie-ins have slapped. So let's continue this train. Let's keep this ball rolling. Uh, let's dive in the synopsis. The clock is ticking and midnight looms. It's not too late. Interesting. Ominous. I'm not sure. We've been seeing people being judged, which has been really interesting. I'm super, super interested to see how they judge Jean Grey, because we got to get there eventually, right? All the things that have happened in Jean Grey's life, both as herself and as the Phoenix, it's, uh, that's, that's what I'm waiting for. I'm, they're holding off. They judge Cyclops. Of course, my boy got a thumbs up. But they also judged Cap, and he got a thumbs down. So I don't know where we're going with this, but I'm very excited to find out. Next up, my two big books of the week. The books that I think you should absolutely be picking up. First off, Do a Powerbomb number four. Written by Daniel Warren Johnson and art also by Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer. Uh, Do a Powerbomb rules. It's been fantastic. The first three issues ruled and the fourth issue looks like it's going to be continuing that train. So let's dive into the synopsis. The Knights of Rhine have been training in the ring for years to destroy the evil Necroton, and now they have the chance to do it by winning the Death Life Tournament. Only one problem, Sun and Steel are in their way. So what they... They did something really smart last uh, last issue where they got you invested in the story of the opponents that uh, Sun and Steel have to deal with, and... I love that. I love that you want to see both of these teams win, but only one can. And it's it's the best part of pro wrestling. So I'm very excited about this. Let's see uh, let's see where this goes. And the other big book of the week, the book alongside to a powerbomb number four that I think you should absolutely be picking up, Batman versus Robin number one. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Mahmoud Asrar. And I have never done a 180 on a book like this before, but I'm hyped. I'm super hyped for this book. Uh, we know that it's basically spinning out of Batman, Robin, and the world's finest books. All three of them are going to be essentially feeding into the baseline for this book and where we go with it. But, I mean, it's written by Mark Wade, so you know I'm going to shill. You know I'm going to be there. You know I'm going to pick up issue one. But also, I'm very curious, because they're they're touting this as like a big Justice League dark story. They're touting this as a big, you know, the cover says father versus son for the fate of the DCU. So I don't know what is going to happen here. Also, Alfred is on the cover. I don't know what we're doing, but I'm very excited. Let's dive into the synopsis. Chapter 1, Reunion. Spinning out of the occasions of each, Batman, Superman, World's Finest, and Shadow War, father and son will do battle in one of the many single most earth-shattering tales ever constructed. 
deep within the coronary heart of Lazarus Island, the demonic legacy of the Al Ghul household has finally been freed, and the devil Neza is out for blood. To reclaim his whole domination over planet Earth, Neza has supercharged magic. Anybody who dares use its use it is overcome by a demonic evil that supercharges their talents to be harmful, unpredictable, and in some instance, lethal. With Damien in Neza's clutches and Bruce haunted by the return of a previous good friend, the Dark Knight and the Boy Wonder are pitted towards each other within the battle of the century. Legendary author Mark Wade helms the following epic saga in Batman's historical past, where his celebrity artist Mahmoud Asrar makes his triumphant return to DC. There's something off with this uh, with this synopsis. The writing in it's really, really strange. It's not just me screwing up the writing here. Um, but regardless, I'm very excited about this. Mahmoud Asrar is a generational talent. Mark Wade, I've sung Mark Wade's praises for years on this podcast. So I'm very excited about this. This is going to be a hell of a book. So that does it for this week's Comics Countdown to recap. We've got The Amazing Spider-Man number 9, Daredevil number 3, Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Wonder Woman number 1, X-Men Red number 6, Superman Son of Kal-El number 15, Judgment Day number 4, Do a Powerbomb number 4, and Batman vs. Robin number 1. This is a big week of heavy hitter comics, so make sure you get in before the bell rings. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. The sky is absolutely the limit. As long as you give me those five stars, I will be forced to read whatever you write. Uh, and you will be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alock and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here like our good brother. Brother Michael Cox. Mike writes in uh, every so often. He was originally uh, going to have his email read this past Friday on the book club, but this email was a little bit more focused towards me, so I wanted to save it for the podcast here. Uh, Mike writes Hey, Eric. Hello. Two quick questions for you, if you don't mind, about pro wrestling. Oh, yes. Here we go. Uh, he writes, I used to watch WWF slash WWE back in the late 90s and mid 2000s. Now that AEW is becoming widely popular, if targeted ads by Twitter are any indicator, I'm curious about trying to follow along more, even if I don't have time to sit down and watch live events. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, AEW is a great company. 
it's gone through some stuff which we're going to address in a second but uh he was watching the same period that i first started watching so that's really exciting so first question he writes what's going on with cm punk something about winning a belt and then getting into a real life altercation so if you are not in the know about pro wrestling at all um i'm gonna try to make this as clear as possible but it might get a little uh might get a little in the weeds and inside baseball here. Uh, CM Punk, world-renowned wrestler and sometimes UFC fighter. Don't remind him of that, though. Uh, left pro wrestling in 2014. Left the WWE amid lots of controversy. Has not gotten back into a ring for seven years. Last year, around August, he came back, joined AEW. It was a huge thing. Everyone... I remember watching it live and getting chills. Uh, this past weekend, John Moxley, who was the AEW champion, defended his title against CM Punk. Punk beat him, though apparently was injured in the match, and coming into the uh, post-show media scrum, had lots of words to say about uh, a certain Colt Cabana who he used to be friends with. They had a falling out around the same time as he left uh, WWE, and then also went in on the EVPs of the company, uh, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and their friend Hangman Adam Page especially. Uh, he's had issues with Hangman Page stemming from earlier this year when they had some words uh, about his contributions to the company, unionizing, all that stuff. And apparently this resulted, once the uh, media interview was over, in him going back to his locker room and getting in a huge dust-up, a huge brawl with Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega, also involving his trainer, CM Punk's trainer, Ace Steel. The, the five men got in this big brawl. Apparently, at some point, Ace Steel threw a chair at Nick Jackson, knocking him out. Uh, he also bit Kenny Omega. Uh, all kinds of stuff. This huge huge backstage pull-apart brawl uh, resulted in all parties being either suspended or most likely fired altogether. Uh, the elites, which are, again, the EVPs, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks have been suspended. They also won the trio, the brand new, mind you, trios championships, uh, who and they were suspended. We don't know for how long. Um, the titles were put up, vacated, and the same thing happened to CM Punk. We don't know if he's fired or if he's suspended. There's been no update on that so far, though people are leaning towards him being fired due to unprofessionalism, him getting in fights, and him apparently rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. Again, we're not sure. Ace Steel is for sure gone. There's no way. They haven't announced it yet, but he's for sure fired. Um, so there was a lot of drama this week and a lot of uncertainty when we came into uh, AEW's week. However, if you have never watched a single episode of AEW television, I would make it a point to try and watch this week's episode because... With all of the uncertainty that was going on within the company, uh, their public image, with all of this news leaking out, they needed a home run of an episode. And on Wednesday, they delivered one of the best episodes of their weekly television show, AEW Dynamite, that I have seen in a very long time. Great wrestling, 
great character work and a focus on the future a focus on taking the guys who have built that company and making them look like stars the trios championships that were put up were immediately put on the line in a match that gave us brand new trios champions that are going to take them and build the legacy of those titles and the world championship has been put up in a tournament of champions they're calling it where Several different champions, both inside the company and outside, and former champions of outside the company, are now competing for the right to battle for the title in two weeks' time at their Grand Slam show in New York. So, lots of good names. We had an amazing match between Hangman Adam Page and Brian Danielson that, even if you don't regularly watch AEW programming, you should go out of your way to watch that match. It's wonderful, and it speaks to what makes this company what it is. So, long-winded answer to your first question, but that's essentially what's going on. And his second question, which is going to be a little less heavy, he asks, who is Danhausen? I see this guy all the time and I have no idea who they are or what their gimmick is. So Danhausen is very nice, very evil. He is a gremlin of a man who pops up and curses people, and that's his entire gimmick. Uh, Danhausen was a huge, huge name on the indie circuit, and it was a big deal when they brought him in. He's... Not what I would consider like a serious wrestler, like a Brian Danielson, a Kenny Omega, stuff like that. But he is incredibly entertaining. And right now he's paired up with the best friends, uh, Trent Beretta and uh, Chuck Taylor, as well as the other probably most well-known and polarizing wrestler in AEW, Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy is, his whole thing is he does not try very hard. That's his whole gimmick. And pairing him with Danhausen, who is the most ridiculous little goblin man, uh, it's hilarious. Danhausen is incredible. He's fun. His gimmick, again, is just he curses people and then bad things happen to them. So he's really fun. Not super serious with his gimmick. He's not like a... Uh, not a prize fighter, kind of like uh, kind of like a John Moxley or an Eddie Kingston. You'd never see him like competing for the world title, but he's a character who is incredibly fun to watch. So uh, that is essentially the breakdown of uh, AEW. I think right now is the most exciting time to get into AEW as a company because right now they have something to prove. They need to prove that they can push past all of the drama bullshit that they've been dealing with and just put on great television. Tony Khan, who is the president and helped found the company alongside the elite, Cody Rhodes, Hangman Page, uh, said in an address to the live crowd this week, he wanted to put on the best three hours of wrestling that he's ever put on this week. So, um, yeah, I would go back, check out last week's edition of Dynamite, and tune in this week, because as you are listening to this, we're getting a, another episode. They drop episodes just like us every single Wednesday. You might call the Geeksplain podcast the AEW of comic book co podcasting. All manner of characters are welcome and we are trying to put on the best hour to two hours of podcasting every single wednesday so um honestly i love aew i think it's a great company filled with great people and great characters and great wrestling so it's a great time to be a wrestling fan just in general but it's i think a even better time to be an AEW fan because yes we had some really terrible stuff happen last weekend but 
honest to God, if this, if last week's episode of Dynamite is any indication, they are working on trying to focus on what they do best, which is put on amazing shows with amazing wrestlers. So, uh, Mike, thanks so much for writing in. I hope I answered your question and gave you at least another reason to tune in to AEW, even if you don't have time to sit down and watch it every single week. Um, Something that really helps me, wrestling podcasts that will discuss what's going on, wrestling news, Solid Monster Sounds Off is a great podcast that I recommend. Uh, also, Wrestle Talk. Wrestle Talk breaks things down into bite-sized news pieces, gives you recaps of events. So if you just want to find out what's going on without having to sit down every single week for two to three hours, check it out. Check out Wrestle Talk. Check out any of the wrestling uh, podcasts. If you need recommendations, email me. I'll give them to you. So, uh, again, if you want to be part of this Geek Explained mailbag and have me explain wrestling to you, send your uh, emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. I always love getting emails from you guys, and I love doing the mailbag. So give me more emails to read. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, like this past week's Marvel games showcase. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GeeksplainedPod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. Uh, I always love interacting with you guys on there. We are getting fairly close we're we're on our way to 400 followers on twitter so if you want to help us get there help us get there i'd really appreciate it we're 10 away from 350 and i think we can do it i think we can get to 350 by next week so we'll see We'll see. I would love it if you helped us out to get there. But finally, if you uh, got nothing going on on Fridays, I, alongside my amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, sit down every single Friday to do the Geek Explained Book Club. Right now, we are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Last week, we tackled Ultimate Comics Spider-Man Volume 2, aka Chameleons, a book which I had a lot of things to say about. And this week, we're tackling a Ultimate Spider-Man adjacent story. It's the Ultimate Doomsday Trilogy, which is a three, four-issue miniseries Ultimate Enemy, Ultimate um, Mystery, and Ultimate Doom. So uh, check us out. We've been doing the Geek Explained Book Club for a while, and we always love having people interact with us on there. So feel free to check that out. Every single Friday, be there or be square, not a circle. But that does it for this week's episode. Huge thank you again to Doug for coming back on the show to discuss season two. Next week, part three of Saturday Morning September features another returning guest, the Kenny Omega of this podcast. Matt Draper is dropping by to chat about season three of Batman the Animated Series, a.k.a. the new Batman Adventures. So... Check that out next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.